0: Welcome, everybody, to Grow Her Women Worth and Work, where we're sharing experiences on the real triumphs and challenges women face in the workforce and empowering women with relatable stories from some really amazing everyday people. We're your hosts, Runa Knapp and Angela Priest, and today we have an amazing guest with us, Jeremy Barr. Jeremy is an ally to women and the founder of Rocket Mindset a startup that provides leadership development and investment connections for aspiring founders. In this episode, we'll dig into Jeremy's focus on bringing greater representation of women into founder communities. So Jeremy, thanks for joining us today. It's really good to have you here. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing um, uh, to bring greater representation of women into the startup world
1: yep yeah. everything I do is geared towards impacting three billion people, and that's across a lot of dimensions. and one of the dimensions that matters to me is increasing the gender equality, gender equity and and justice. Um, and so, as a lot of people see, a lot of the videos that i re- that I release, they do have a lot of women. I have a lot of women that I'm working with because if I, I am intentionally increasing that opportunity at a, at a high level.
0: And so you and I have talked a little bit about a very unique perspective you have. So, you know, this concept between um you know, a lack of opportunities and learn and learning opportunities being a barrier for representation, it, particularly in high level um, positions. So tell us a little bit about that. I thought that was a you have a really interesting take on it,
1: yep. So for me, I've heard out there sometimes people saying, um, higher on merit only. And whereas that sounds nice and feels nice, um, I don't see it as quantifiably because I, I formerly wrote algorithms and so I think of everything in algorithms that I'm like, that doesn't quantifiably solve the gap um, to just hire on merit because when men are already in in more, per- they are more percentage in the leadership positions right now, um, if you just hire based on merit, then you're going to continually keep cycling in men and keep that percentage there like it's it's quantifiable. Um, so the only way to start changing that that I see is if you have a man and a woman in front of you and you have somebody that is. 80, 80 points on their merit and then and then say a woman is 78 points on their merit, you actually have to take you want to take the, the woman because. That's what's going to give them the opportunity to join in and fail and learn, right? This is I've it, is, and I, I've I've talked to a lot of um, men and women about this prior to this call, too, because I've been doing this for a while. And some of the women initially they said, Well, I don't want to be the pity hire. And I was like, This isn't a pity hire. I hire a lot of men who are unqualified as well because they need to fail and learn in the environment. There are only so many things you can learn from books and universities and podcasts and mentors. There are a lot of things that you have to go in and fail and learn. And so I hire men based on hey, you're not prepared yet, but you're gonna come in and fail and learn. And now we're doing the same thing for women. You need to come in and be able to fail and learn. And this is what's gonna actually quantifiably grow, change change that gap.
0: I think you're making a really interesting point here because I think what you're really saying is that suppose you have two candidates, a man and a woman who both have 10 years of experience in their field, who both started at the same points. By the end of that 10 years, the male applicant may have had access to more opportunities. And as a result, more opportunities to fail and learn and grow. And because of that, the female applicant who may have had less access hasn't had quite as many opportunities. And so if you want to solve for that um, lack of representation in higher leadership positions, you really do have to give that lean towards the female applicant.
1: Yeah, there's two lenses here. One, right? Like, we're not hiring completely unqualified, like, five points of merit, right? We're not hiring a five-year-old. That's why I said 78 and 80 as an example. You want to have a slight lean. Slight lean is a very important nuance. Um, You don't want to hire completely unqualified. You want to hire qualified. um, Both both candidates are qualified, but you want to have that slight lean, so that's important. The other thing... is when we're looking at equality a lot of people are thinking equality across a single time slice so they're thinking oh it needs to be equality now hiring equal now but when you look you say that well if women haven't got the opportunities over the last five years 10 years 20 years whatever you're actually lacking in a lot of that equal opportunities it's not equal opportunities a lot of people think equal opportunities right now it means in a single time slice of today's day and age of this year But if you actually look at time slice in a more rigorous lens, you don't say, I'm going to give men and women an equal chance, five men men and five women today, and then then if women didn't apply today, good luck on them, five men and five women tomorrow. No, you're saying right now people are currently using a current time window with an undefined bounds, and they're saying of today's day and age, which maybe includes this six months or this year. But when you look at it, you say the last five years, last 10 years, if women didn't get that many opportunities, which they didn't, then you actually have a lot more catching up to do. And so we need to look at it from a rigorous time slices window perspective. Yeah. So you're I mean, looking... At, oh, go yeah, ahead. Sorry,
2: I'm d- just going to chime in that that's really important to us too, right? Because we recruit that clientele who've taken career breaks. So, you know, for someone who's had this amazing career trajectory to senior level positions, and then they leave for one reason or the other, a lot of times in our case for caregiving, when they're try to, trying to return, it's important to give that same opportunity and not say, hey, you've lost five years of work when it's like, well, really, you can go back in, slate right back in, Uh, maybe not, not to the exact same capacity, but there's definitely that quick growth potential there.
0: And to add on to Runa's point, I think this idea of time slices is so interesting because when we think about equity, we often do think about equity right now. And how do we do things in an equal way right now? But the reality is, is that if I just start doing things in an equitable way now, then those women in entry-level positions who I'm just hiring now aren't going to reach the C-suite for another 10 to 15 years or those positions where they've got enough experience and know how to found a company. And so... That I, there, We have to do things that actually accelerate that transition to gender equity because letting it go on naturally over that period of time, it will continue to take decades to actually even things out um, if we just allow it to occur, occur without any intervention. And so I also think this idea of the lean, when you've got somebody who perhaps had less access to opportunity, I think that idea of the lean is really important.
1: Yes, hundred percent. I agree. Yep.
0: And so, kind of thinking, going down that thread a little bit, because what I find interesting is it it obviously starts at the hiring, the point of hiring, right? So, so you know, some folks are trying to grow from within, but you have to take this hiring bent as well. So, how do um, both of you guys think about the fact that women will only apply for something if they um, if they meet hundred percent of the criteria, whereas men, they'll apply for something that's 60%. So how do you deal with that barrier for women?
2: Yeah. I mean, I just speaking, you know, I'm looking at resumes consistently. I'm looking at hundreds and hundreds of resumes daily, and you are absolutely right. <laughs> um, if I have a role, that's an investor relations role. I only get women who are investor relations professionals. And then the men are like, panelists or you know I did this long time ago and maybe I can like slate in and you know there's just that risk taking that a lot of men take that women don't because they think they do need to check all the boxes Um, I think that in terms of like in our client space we'll try to say hey listen are you willing to think outside the box because if you're not willing to, you know, if you're willing to see someone as something more than they did exactly the role, well, you're bringing in a whole different skill set that could be very beneficial to you. So, you know, we have to play a little bit of that middleman. But I wish it did change a little bit, where it was more women taking that risk to apply to these roles they might not be perfect for.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and I, I'm. Definitely, I oh, go ahead, Jeremy.
1: I think I agree with that, and I also think um, I had a previous. Um, Person that I knew, um, they would add, and it wasn't in that case particularly for women, um, but it can be. Um, you can add to the job postings that says, if you don't qualify, if you don't qualify for all the bullet points, still apply. He he was putting that out there, um, and I think I think that's helpful for women as well, so that they don't think they have to meet all the and that he did that generally for everybody, but I think in this particular case where if there's a, if there's a mindset difference, let's adjust that. So I think that's one way of dressing it is literally just put a one liner at least on the bottom of a job posting that says if you don't see that you qualify for all these still apply we want to be able to consider you and then the other one is doing podcasts like this and doing other awareness discussions around increasing confidence um and and increasing applying for things that you may not fully be qualified for mm-hmm.
0: So, Jeremy, you actually do a lot of coaching with women who are either new founders or emerging founders. Like, what are some things that you coach on to help them build that level of confidence with risk taking that's really essential, not only in startups, but also in any leadership position?
1: Yep. So I address I address confidence and risk-taking a lot in a lot of the coaching and the mentoring I do for, for founders, for CEOs, and for a lot of just other tiers because I do leadership coaching and life coaching as well. Um, and so I have week over week where I'm meeting with a lot of different people and a lot of women. Um, and I do address confidence and risk-taking a lot um, with everybody, but I may end up spending, I do end up spending a little bit more time with women because I am aware that we want to increase confidence, increase risk-taking. So I use the same, I, I do the same thing for everybody, but maybe I spend a little bit more time with women. And so it's just normal how how I go about with confidence is, like I'm hyping them up, I'm giving them that belief, I'm giving them the rationale of like, well, you are good at this. And so I, I do the same normal kind of confidence conversations. And there's a lot of di- to dive into it. I won't dive into all of it there. Um, and then same thing for risks. I You know, I I tell them like, and anybody, I say, here's the percentage of risk that you want to take in your life and, you know, increase it. And here's why. And here's how you can mathematically do it. And so I go over all that the same.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I I see sometimes happen, and I do a lot of coaching on kind of emerging leaders and kind of, you know, advisory for C suite. Um, But one of the things that I see is that women tend to dwell on mistakes for a lot longer, like the recovery time for women. And I'll include myself in this. The recovery time from failure or from perceived failure is a seems to be a lot longer. Is that something that you observe in your coaching when you're kind of coaching men versus women?
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the week over week coaching um, men, as soon as they, on average, Um, And I I use the word on average a lot because I don't want to put all men or all women in a bucket, but on average, I do see a lot of men. um, As soon as we address it in the conversation, it's never brought up again for women. I do have them bringing up the same issue the next week and the next week. And so I actually have different, um, I'm just more aware of now that like when it comes back, I I go, okay, I I expect like, okay, this one's going to come up again and we're going to address it again in this way. And and, um, so usually it'll be a two or three week lag for women. Um, in what I've seen and for men, it's like, it takes the one conversation, Hey, you failed on that. Cool. Get better at it. Like whatever. And it's one conversation. Whereas for women, it's a second or third week. I've never seen it go to the fourth week.
0: So Runa, do you see that in kind of, I would assume you see some of that too in when you're doing recruiting and when you're working with women candidates, is that something that you see with women candidates also?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think part of I
0: mean because of who we serve, I think a
2: lot of it is I always feel like I'm a therapist. Like you can do this. You, you know, you're not the only one. And I think that's the biggest thing for a lot of our candidates to hear is you truly are not the only one. And you know, with thousands and thousands of candidates in our database, it's the same story. Very often. So um, I think that's really helpful for them um, to just put it into perspective, you know, like, it's, it's it's okay, you're going to make mistakes, it's okay. Um, but again, you're not the only one going through this
0: yeah, I think that was one of the things that was always helpful for me as a woman is having exposure to other women who maybe experienced the same thing. So I could see that what I was doing wasn't a catastrophic failure. It was just something that was normal. So, you know, hey, you're you're struggling with, um I think for a lot of women coming up, you get you you learn to mask your emotions and you learn to not be emotive because it doesn't always have a really um, great outcome when you're you're emotive so you learn to mask in certain ways that i think men perhaps don't have to mask um and so you're very cautious in in being expressive and so um i'll I'll never forget i was um working with uh, a female executive and i got really frustrated and i kind of had an outburst and i was really apologetic afterwards just oh my gosh i'm so sorry that was completely uncalled for and She said one of the most powerful things that anybody could have said to me. She said, you're human. I expect you to sometimes be frustrated. And it was just this eye-opening thing where it was like, wow, I'm allowed to be human and express those emotions and not worry about my job security um, by being expressive. People understand that. They're empathetic to it. Um, So that was an eye opener but i think a lot of women perhaps don't have that experience of having other women or other female leaders who they can go to and see oh wait it's okay for me to do this or it's that's normal or that's part of my learning curve so what advice would you give founders about the importance of addressing gender equity early on in building their companies
1: so a lot of what i a lot of what i teach to all humans and I use the word humans a lot a lot of what i what i teach and share to all humans a lot is um to be a great human you need to be able to talk to a lot of different people of different of different education levels income levels age groups genders political parties cultures countries Um, part of my investment thesis um in the vc that i run um is this, this this term called gravity ball and i have a video out there on my linkedin for it um where I don't invest in product because it's going to mutate or product lineup because it's going to mutate, that wouldn't be a rigorous investment decision. I invest based on founder um, and founders hard skills like engineering or sales or whatever is going to be dwarfed by your first five employees or, or, or 500 employees or th- a 1000 employees. So that's not a rigorous debt, uh, investment decision either. The, the actual investment um, decision that's rigorous is your ability to be that gravity ball, to attract investors, partners, customers, employees, and to be a great gravity ball, you need to be able to go out and practice and have lots of conversations. I do 300 calls a month, uh, I'm talking with people all over the world, eight different countries a day, 10 to 13 calls a day. Um, and you need to be able to talk to men and women, different cultures, different countries, different political parties. That's the only way you're going to be able to be a gravity ball to attract a lot of different people is be able to communicate to and relate to a lot of different people. And so I advise all humans the same way is go become a great gravity ball, which makes you a great, well-rounded human being, because becoming a well-rounded human being that can communicate to and relate to a lot of different people is really, really rare. And that isn't even mentioning women in specific by saying that, but when you give that advice to men and women, that helps in a lot of ways for them to, by default, now they're looking at men, women, education levels, income levels, and they're becoming really well-rounded and they're understanding that guess what? There's going to be differences.
0: I think what you're speaking to around recognizing that there are going to be differences is so important because oftentimes we tend to compare ourselves with others and it kind of can get us into these really kind of bad ruminating um, cycles. And so we talked about this issue of latency earlier in the conversation. So what are some, th- some of the things that you do when you're coaching people to help them get out of some of those kind of latency cycles where it's just taking a really long time to process through a particular issue?
1: There's, there's the coaching that I'll do where it's like, sometimes you'll, you'll say something and it's like, okay, cool, that makes sense. But it doesn't process. I mean, I have emotion times where I'm like, I have to do these processes too, where you can say something and look, okay, I know that I need to like do this or whatever, but you actually have to go and take action. So I give prescriptive actions in the coaching and it maybe happens uh, more often for women that we're addressing the, the latency of, of the emotions, but it still happens with men too. And so in either case with all humans to address latency of emotions, you are saying, go and take this action to go and feel because you need to go recode your nerves. I've been on on different shows with different um, Uh, doctors and and neuron discussions and you actually have to go recode yourself just like experiences get coded in yourself.
0: Runa, you were going to say something, I think?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, when you started, Jeremy, speaking about this, it was, it just, I feel like people have to be comfortable being uncomfortable sometimes, you know, there, it's just, you might not have these experiences in your life where you've been around different types of people, but in order to be a good leader, you really truly have to be comfortable in any given situation. Um, I think that's really important. And it's something I see, you know, in my daily life and where I live and, you know, it's, it's, you, you notice that, you know, so it's, it's a important trait. And I think a, a What makes a really great leader is that, you know, they are able to, you know, take in a diverse set of experiences. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it's it's what both of you are highlighting is this idea of being open. Mm -hmm. And being open to your schemas and your ways of thinking not being the way that two people can experience the same situation in dramatically different ways. And by acknowledging and being open to that and being receptive to changing your point of view and your perspective, you create what, Jeremy, you're calling a, a situation where you become a gravity ball. You become somebody people want to be around and I think the same is true for companies. When So when we're talking about gender equity and creating greater representation, if you're a place where women feel like they are well-received and you are receptive to their experience and their needs and their desires and kind of receptive to the fact that maybe they have 78% compared to 80% because they have access to less opportunity in their formative um, career years... I think all of those things create an environment that's attractive um, to women.
1: Yeah, and I, I I tell people to memorize, I tell all humans to memorize the phrase in your company to be able to talk to somebody else and even outside of company too, to memorize the phrases, here's my perspective, here's my lens, what are your thoughts? And then somebody else says, here's my lens, here's my perspective, what are your thoughts? And now without even addressing women specifically, We're going to get something where men are now asking women, here's my perspective, here's here's my lens, here's my perspective, what are your thoughts? And then somebody else says it back. And this teaches us to value other people's opinions and not think everybody thinks the same and not think that there is one absolute right or wrong. I stay away from words like this is right or this is wrong. I stay away from words like should and shouldn't because should or shouldn't has to be contextualized in my ideal world, in my experiences, right? So we Mm -hmm. can only say things like here's my perspective, here's my lens, what are your thoughts? And that's what everybody should be memorizing.
0: Yeah. And it gives you greater ability to make decisions. If you can get people to open up that way, it actually gives you a greater set of decision options um, than you may have had before. So it, and I think in that way, it actually creates more opportunity for companies because if you have access to more possibilities, more choices, that means that you can reduce risk, you can increase return and those types of things. So, um, so with that, Jeremy, are there any final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners or viewers with?
1: No, I mean, I think, I mean, well, I, the, the masking thing, right? Like when you say, when you say people are masking, then that's why reading nonverbals is important too, because I pick up on so much more um, with the women that I'm coaching that, that are masking more. And then as soon as I see non uh, nonverbals, right? I see, I, I see an eye movement, um, whatever micro expression, or even a tonality change in the, in the ending of a word, right? Um, we don't use that to make a judgment. We use that to ask a question right and so to prompt more question asking because we don't know what they're thinking until they say it but at least we can use that as a form of prompting and we need to do that to to kind of unmask um to to and then we can also address confidence and risk taking a little bit more to to kind of reduce some of that mask bite. like you can kind of see under the mask a little bit um and then and then the other thing is just like you know we talked about it in the beginning but just to reiterate like if we just treat everything the same in terms of like, okay, let's give people equal access. We're gonna keep things the same. We actually have to say within this time slice window, you have to take on that 78, 80. You have to be able to say, this person is 78, the woman is 78 and the man is 80. We're gonna take on the 78 because we're looking across time slices. And across time slices, women are way behind in the equal opportunities. So if you just look at a single time slice, That is an issue that keeps things at bay. It only makes you feel good. And we're not here to make people feel good. I'm not here to make people feel good. I'm here to actually close the gap. And that's quantifiably You can measure that up in an Excel sheet or an algorithm and actually do that.
0: I love that. I love that. So thank you, Jeremy, for coming on and being our guest. This was an awesome conversation. I love it, as always. I love uh, talking with you. Um, So that brings us to the end of our episode for Grow Her, Women, Worth, and Work. Um, We really appreciate your time. And to our listeners, tune in next time.
1: Thanks, Angela. Thank you, Runa.
2: Thanks,
0: Jeremy.